This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. Fans of what I do here on Digging in the Dirt know I like to tackle the larger issues facing our environment, but I also like to bring on people who can help us do more self-sufficient stuff, like get good at growing our own healthier chemical-free food. And that's why my guest this afternoon is Mark Rizdil-Smith, who wrote the Vertical Veg Guide to Container Gardening, found on Chelsea Green Press. Mark has a website and a Facebook page that inspires and supports people to grow food in small urban spaces. He has appeared on many television shows and written for the Guardian's Live Better campaign. I'm pleased to have him here today to help us grow more food ourselves, even in the tiny cramped spaces of the city. Well, welcome, Mark. Hi, Kevin. Very good to be here. You know, I found your book a great practical resource to do just what I said. Although I have more space to grow than most people do in the city, I need more and better ideas myself to get more yield out of my own garden. So I'm pleased to have you. It's a really nice resource that you got there. The only thing that we may have problems with is that some of the, the tables for growing and things would be for England and not for here on the East Coast. Um, I think sort of 90 eight percent of the information probably is applicable to most places uh, in the world but then specific like growing times and things like that will obviously be determined by uh, where people live but the seasons are pretty similar i think in most parts of the northern hemisphere just the the exact sowing dates are going to vary you know, by a few weeks or maybe a few months at times. Yeah. Well, that's a minor thing. We can always get the tables here, but you have really good information about, you know, growing in cramped spaces. So let's go over. You say that there are eight steps to success in container gardening on, let's say, a porch or a small area in the backyard. Why don't we go over some of those? I think the first one was match the crops to how much sun you have in the space. And that's something most people understand. What You want to go into it a little deeper? Yeah, sure. Well, the reason for the eight steps is that I feel that when people are starting out, if you start going online, there's just like masses of information out there. And it's quite difficult to work out what is really important and what is really going to make a difference. Uh, because a lot of the information out there, actually, you don't really need to know <laughs> until <laughs> maybe you've been growing for a few years. So the idea behind the eight steps is just trying to distill that little bit of information that actually makes the most difference. And as you say, the first one is... Uh, how much uh, sun uh, your space gets and um, you know I, I worked I, I was really confused by this when I started because seed packets often didn't tell you how much sun so I worked out the sort of quite simple rule really and that was that if uh, a space has more than half a day's sun that's more than six hours sun you can pretty much grow anything but the things that really need a lot of sun are all the subtropical fruits so that's things like tomatoes chilies aubergines zucchini uh, squash and then if you have a bit less sun than that about five to six hours that's about half a day the things that will grow well in that amount of sun are things like all the peas uh, and bean crops will do well as will all the root vegetables and with less sun than that say sort of three or four hours sun uh, there's still a lot you can grow but you just have to choose more carefully so the things that will do well in less sun are like all the leafy crops so that's all the salads, all things like kale and chard and spinach, um, but also all the herbs. And some of the herbs um, will be in books, will be people will say they need full sun. 
But actually, rosemary and thyme and even uh, basil will grow fine in just uh, three or four hours, uh, three or four hours on. They may not develop quite the full flavor, but they'll still they'll still taste good. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that can grow in three or four hours on is all the woodland fruits. So that's things like raspberries. You can get Japanese wine berries, blackberries, uh, black currants, red currants, rhubarb. So unless on, there's still a good choice, and the leafy vegetables and most soft fruits are some of the best things to uh, have at home. Um, so yeah, there's still a good good choice for those people with less sun. And the reason why I wanted to put that in is that a lot of urban spaces don't get full sun, so it's often important to know how much sun your space gets. No, that's for sure. It's it's spotty. You know, some spots in my garden are very sunny, and others are half shady so yeah i agree with that so number two is uh, choose the right container i think this is a really important one how big the container is and then what do you put in it to grow things because it's, okay, container gardening can be uh, difficult for some people especially you know when you don't know what to put in the in the soil and how often to water for instance yeah and i think this is um one of the challenges when people look at um, things like pinterest because it will often show a lot of people growing things in like small bottles and it is possible to grow plants, um, edible plants in bottles. And in some countries, you know, if that's all you can get hold of for a container, then it's, you know, it's a necessity. But if you've got the option, then the bigger the container you grow in, the easier it is to grow, the less it needs watering, and the healthier the plant will grow. So in a, as a general rule, you know, the bigger the pot you, you can use, the bigger the plant will grow, and the easier it will be to look after. And the things which really need big containers or benefit from the bigger containers are the things, the fruiting crops, things like uh, tomatoes and aubergines, whereas salad crops, you know, you can grow them in a smaller container and you'll just have a small salad crop, but a small salad mm -hmm. tastes just as nice as a large one. So yeah, sure. it's less important for, for, for salads. Yeah. So as far as the container goes, like say, let's just use, I'm a big tomato grower, so a tomato plant is something like a milk crate container that I've seen some of the pictures in your book where is that sufficient for a that's, that's definitely sufficient yeah that's, I mean you can grow them in smaller it's just it's easier to grow them in yeah the sort of milk crate that I'm I'm going would probably grow that would hold like 50 liters of soil which is I'm not very good at converting liters to gallons. <laughs> I can't help you out either. <laughs> no, okay, well, we'll just. <laughs> but anyway, in a milk crate, I would probably put two tomatoes in that size of uh, in that size of container. You put two in one. I see. I would never do that. I'd one one plant to, per container. Yeah, anyway. one would be better. Yeah. So normally uh, grow stronger. Yeah. What about the the soil itself? What I mean, you see, you 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 have a whole section on making sure we use our table scraps to make compost and stuff like. But you say you use the compost. Is is that just what you're amending? What soil you put into the containers? That's actually partly a language thing. In the UK, we call anything we put in our containers. I don't know why, but we just call it compost. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where, there, that's really why I was what confused. I'm talking about in in your language, that's potting mix. So okay. the potting mix you put in your uh, pots uh, is really um, important. And it's, I don't know about for you, but in this country, it varies quite a lot in quality. And a lot of people just go and buy like a cheap one because it looks the same. Then they find their plants don't grow very well in it. Yeah. Uh, and they don't realize that all they've done actually is just not get a very good potting mix. So it doesn't have to be expensive, but you just need to do a bit of research really to make sure that the one you've got has got a good reputation uh, right. and plants will grow well in it. 
and and also amend the soil properly. And people listening to you right now are aware that it, when we talk about here our phrases, it's all about the soil. So they know you have to even work on the soil to have good good yields. Absolutely. And I mean the the thing, the opportunity for people in small spaces, um, for those who don't have a phobia of worms, is wormeries uh, create a fantastic uh, worm compost or vermicast which is rich in nutrients but it's also very very rich in microbial life and that is a wonderful amendment to have on hand to add into containers and uh, when i started using it um, i got much better yields but also very noticeably the plants grow stronger and healthier when you have um something like uh, worm compost to put on your plants totally agree with you i have a, a worm my grandson's a worm factory downstairs in the basement <laughs> yeah. Worm factory, yeah. yeah i meant to ask you because i saw in one of your garden plans that you have what you call the wormery so it's it's, it's like a vermicompost operation but it's in the corner of the garden and you're planted something in it you had beans growing in the middle according to the plan is that something you're doing there is that what's happening oh. That's actually a that's actually a container on the top of the wormery, just making oh. most of every space. So, yeah, that's just a, a container balanced on the top. <laughs> okay, I get it. Smart. That's very smart. Yeah, yeah, folks. Uh, if you if you've had I've had other I've had three shows on worms here because it's such a, a great fertilizer. I totally agree with you because we have limited time. So let's talk about watering. This I think may be the thing that makes people either success or not a success with container. Uh, gardening because I know for a fact that I can get lazy and not go out there some morning and then I, I kill off a plant or two or it's just don't, don't get the yields I want because I'm not watering. What do you recommend about watering? Yeah, so watering, I think, is is really key. And as you say, it's like important to keep plants alive. But I think a lot of people don't realize that if plants don't get quite enough water, even if they stay alive, they get stressed. And when they get stressed, they get much more prone to sickness and disease so it it really is critical and um, what i recommend is simply just to have a daily uh, a daily routine to do it if you haven't got too many containers it doesn't need to take more than a few minutes and to see it as being just a really nice way to start or end the day and to use it for meditation or, I'm or with just you. to enjoy looking at the plants you know in the middle of the city um, but just checking them every day um and watering them you know when they need that really is the secret because I found when I wasn't doing that, I would forget some days and you only need to forget for like two or three days or even one day if it's hot weather and, you know, your wonderful crop can uh, either die or just go, you know, all sorts of things happen when, when they get stressed, they go tough. Salads can go tough and not taste very nice. Things can go to seed when you don't want them to go to seed. Things like aphid infestations are very common. Mildew is very common with like zucchini if the plant dries out a bit. So yeah, it's just a really critical part of having. How do you how do you feel about uh, drip irrigation for this? Have you ever experimented with that? I have experimented with it, and it is a solution for some people. The thing about it is, is that you still need to check your plants because drip irrigation isn't foolproof. Uh, you know, drippers can get blocked up hard to give every container the exactly the right amount of water that it needs so they're very useful backup and they can really help reduce the amount of work for watering but they don't sort of eliminate it <laughs> and they're right. quite a fiddle to set up so um you know if you've got lots of pots you know you've got to allocate you know half a day or a day to getting it all set up but you know for some people in some situations they are a good solution 
So uh, now a real important one, the feeding of them. I mean, plants like tomatoes, they like to be fed quite a bit. You know, what, what do you recommend in that regard? Yeah, so feeding is another really important part of growing and the fruiting crops in particular. So I would just recommend, yeah, recommend people get a tomato feed. Well, that's what it's called in this country, but it's confusing because you can basically put tomato feed on all fruiting crops. So you can use the tomato feed mm-hmm. on your zucchini and your squash and your beans and all those that's really good. I also really um, like to use liquid seaweed and use it as a foliar feed. So that's diluting it with water and spraying it on the leaves. And that's like vitamins for plants. It does provide a lot of the trace elements they need. And it really helps to grow healthy, strong plants. And then I'm also a big fan, as we've already talked about, of the worm, of the worm compost. Yeah, dressing that around the bottom. Yeah, watering yeah. it in. Yeah, it's great yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was number seven. Number eight is a, is an interesting one because you say observe and learn, and that and that's a sort of a vague thing to say. But yeah, I think that's what, and I think I know you believe that that's what gardening is all about: being in the garden and watching and interacting with your plants, right? Absolutely, it's observe and learn, and don't worry when things go wrong. <laughs> it's a cool thing. <laughs> Everybody <it's>, screws up. <laughs> well, exactly, and I think it's easy when people start to, you know, because gardening programs. I think we're getting better at it, but a lot of gardening programs don't show. You know, if you look at Pinterest or social media, they'll show you. Everyone will show the beautiful crops that they've got. They probably won't be showing all the, you know, tomatoes that got blight and <laughs> the other sort of disasters that went on. And it is just part of the part of the process you know even professional growers have things that go wrong don't they so we all uh, it's just a case of learning yeah when it when it goes wrong trying to work out what what goes wrong and uh, and learning yeah and if you get out in the garden and observe like you you tend to find your problems early enough that you could save a plant like you might find the greenhorn tomato worm out there eating everything and you can grab him and then you don't have the problems exactly and that's one of the benefits of a sort of daily watering routine i often say to people you know it's a really good chance just to have a good look at your plants and uh yeah if you can catch something early yeah you can normally sort it out much easier than if it's uh if it's a further down the line yeah and you mentioned uh you recommend nighttime patrols which in my family that's really a, a fun thing me and my grandkids that we'll get out there with a the light on your head you know and we go looking for beetles and slugs and whatever else yeah. is out there that's a yeah. that's a cool thing to do in your garden as well yeah and you don't need to do it very often but for slugs you know you can get slug pellets and things like that but most of those things all do some sort of damage to the environment so you know because in our urban spaces we don't have i mean the best thing would be to have ducks or hedgehogs or something but most of us can't have ducks or hedgehogs on our balconies so right. the sort of next thing is for us to be that predator and go around and like pick off the uh slugs and snails sure. ourselves and take them down the park or somewhere my biggest problem is squirrels they like they, they share my food and so i net everything and you oh, recommend yeah. that netting is a, is a good way of getting the big pests out of the way yeah. 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 Squirrels are pretty tricky, actually, aren't they? They can be quite determined sometimes. Yeah, they are. They're pests. <laughs> I'm not a happy person with, uh, with squirrels. No, I, have, I have readers in um, in Africa and for them, it's monkeys. And I think I would prefer squirrels to monkeys. Uh, oh, I would go for that, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. And they're because monkeys are much smarter. Yes. <laughs> So we're at pests right now. So let's talk about you. You say in your book, I believe that pesticides, even homemade organic ones, are never needed in the container garden. You want to explain? 
Yeah, well, I never use them, <laughs> so that's probably why. But also, I mean, the reason why I talk, because there's a lot of recipes online for homemade organic uh, recipes to sort of kill things like aphids. And my theory on that is that if anything kills aphids, it's probably going to kill other things at the same time. So, and also, you know, everything everything in life has a, has a role to play. So aphids are foods for birds they're food for ladybirds or ladybugs as uh, you call them they're food for other insects like lacewings so everything has a role in the garden to play and I, and I think particularly in a small space you just don't need them you know you've most things you can just uh, you can pick off your slugs you can even um, squish uh, aphids um, but aphids also are normally a sign of a plant being stressed and unhealthy. So the key with them really is to think, well, why is the plant not healthy? And has it not had enough water? Has it maybe it hasn't been enough, been fed enough um, and look for the underlying cause? You know, I had terrible aphids on my chilies last year. I mean, like almost like they were going to die, but I looked after them. I thought about it and I didn't spray anything on them apart from liquid seaweed to make them healthy. And you know, a month later, they came round and they gave me one of the best crops I've ever had. So, uh, yeah, it's I just don't think they're needed. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and the last uh, interference there, you know, is I think you subscribe to the the idea that a really healthy plant is a pest free plant. That's really Absolutely. what you what your aim is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about health. Um, I mean, you know, there are still some things which you know your squirrels probably not going to keep your squirrels off but no i fight them when i grow up because i have a small area so i have a trellis for my squash and boy they'll get up there and just take a few bites out of them and ruin them you know and, and yeah of, so I, know, yeah. I i cover them in a plastic bag for a while and it seems to work you know that's yeah. you got to be inventive you know and yeah and then you got to share a little bit of it to keep them from getting all of it yeah. Well, one of the things I, I don't think there's any like one secret to having pest free things. I've, I sort of like one of the things I do in the book is like go through like a number of different steps you can people can take. So things like growing a diverse mixture of plants um, is really important. So you don't just have one thing which, you know, pests can easily find uh, things like having like a really healthy soil. Um, lots of different steps you can take, really simple steps you can take. And when you do them all together, um, you know, you can't guarantee it, but I think there's a really good chance that you can grow healthy, pest-free plants without really needing to too much other intervention. Yeah, I'm a believer in growing some things also to to allow them to have it. You can just have it, you know, like I have a, you know, limited space. So I have a, a like a, a black raspberry bush, uh, a blackberry bush, and, and I just let the birds have it. And I like the birds all over the place. They're, they're all over the yard because I let them have some of those things. I think that's a really nice attitude to have. And I think, you know, when you look back at some of the indigenous cultures, they often saw, you know, their farming, you know, when other animals ate them, they saw it as sort of feeding the sort of wider, as their gift really to, to nature. And I think we often can get cross when you know, a lot of things are taken. But I think when you think about it as feeding the wider ecosystem, you know, particularly in the city, 
you know, I think it, it, that's the sort of silver, you know, the, the sort of the positive side of you know your things being eaten by animals is that you're contributing to the wider nature and its cycles. Yeah, we're on the same page there. You know, I because I do that when I go out in the garden to check on my, I, I grow a lot of tomatoes. I had two hundred pounds of over two hundred pounds of tomatoes last year, and wow. I just go around and I check my, I'm, I'm, I dote on my tomato plants, you know, and <laughs> and then when I'm out there, the birds are up on the wires looking at me, and they they come around and they they go and they squawk at me and they say hey you know what are you up to today and i just i acknowledge them and it's like it gets to be sort of you expect them to show up you know a cat bird or a blue jay or whatever yeah yeah no exactly i've got i often have blackbirds out the front and as far as they're concerned it's their front yard and like when I go out there, they sort of like almost like trying to chase me off. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm talking to Mark Ridsdale Smith, who has written a book called The Vertical Veg Guide to Container Gardening. You can find it on Chelsea Green Press. It's a nice little resource book. I like finding these ones that uh, you mentioned, uh, Nigel Palmer's book. It, it, that's another one, sort of a companion to me. You know, these are similar kind of books where you can get a lot of information and keep going back and referring to them. So, Nigel, Nigel's is a great book. Yeah. Yeah, really nice book. A lot of people uh, refer to that, and he's been on this show a couple times. So, another thing you say is that you say we should try to recycle. Uh, and compost as much food and garden waste as possible. I think most of us understand why, but can you get into that a little bit? I mean, I don't know what it's like for you, but in this country, I mean, the amount of food that gets thrown away is is unbelievable, uh, really. No, we're here and, with you. <laughs> and, you know, but it can be, it's not difficult to compost it and transform it into a good uh, a good fertilizer. So it does, it's just like a bit of a, a bit of a no-brainer and, and it's quite interesting how you know quickly your attitudes can change because before I started growing I used to scrape food into the bin you know I just didn't think about it because that's just what people did right. and then after I started growing and I got a wormery and I started putting my waste you know any scraps and things in there I started seeing waste food as a completely different thing I started seeing it as like precious organic matter and I think that's one of the great thing about encouraging people in the city to grow is it can change the way we think about things and the way we see things, because I think we're very caught up, you know, in what's normal. And, you know, if it's normal to throw food in the bin, you throw food in the bin and you don't, you know, you haven't got time to feel guilty about it because you've got so many other things. But then, you know, actually, it's not with just like one step, we can make that transfer and actually start realizing that this is organic matter and it is a precious resource and we don't need to throw it away we can we can reuse it and actually as a result it's like a win-win because as a result we also get free and extremely high quality food to feed our plants to feed us and it sort of closes that loop which is really nice yeah you're right i mean I would imagine you have some of those similar issues with food over, that we're having here. We're now experiencing these droughts and it's affecting the, you know, the lettuce bowl of the West where a lot of lettuce has grown. So recently I've seen iceberg lettuce, which is not your, your most desirable kind of uh, lettuce to grow, but it is a popular one. And now it's six ninety nine, six dollars 99 for a, a head. It just dropped back down to three ninety nine, but because of the drought, you're going to be forced to be growing your own, wow. and, you know, so, but, you know, and to me, the waste that you have is like you said, black gold, when it's turned into compost, right. Yeah. You, you end up with something that can grow your plants and fertilizers becoming a big problem worldwide. So yeah. you have that kind of issue there too, in Britain. 
Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I mean, I think salads are just like one of those things where it just makes so much sense to grow them at home. Because if you think about like about iceberg lettuce, you know, as soon as it's picked with particularly with leafy vegetables, the nutrients start to it starts to lose nutrients as soon as it's picked. I mean, it's put in a plastic bag and it has to be refrigerated and transported across half the country. I mean, in this country, 60 percent on average on some salads are like wasted because in the shops because they just go off before they're actually purchased whereas you know you can grow them at home they're one of the easiest things to grow at home you can pick them and eat them like you know <laughs> 10 minutes after you've uh, after you've picked them you cut out all the waste you cut out on all the refrigeration and if you do happen to have one which you know goes off or whatever you can put it on your on your compost and there's no waste uh whatsoever so salads are, for me are one of those things which you know, the iceberg lettuce situation could be quite solved <laughs> if everyone grew their own. Uh, own yeah, salads, yeah, so. a butter lettuce grown in your backyard far outweighs the iceberg, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. And you can grow so many different, you know, you don't just have left to have lettuce, but literally, you know, there's scores of different leaves you can grow and have, you know, you can have salads made out of 10, 15 leaves easily. And and they just taste so much better, and they've got they've got a better nutrient profile. So for me, growing your own salads is absolutely just one of the best things in the small mm -hmm. space. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing a micro green show coming up because I'm that's what I'm gonna go to. I've bought the seeds already. I've been watching yeah. YouTube's. Isn't YouTube a fantastic place to learn stuff? It is. It is, and and micro greens are like. I mean, I think one of the projects I suggest in my book as first first projects is micro greens because. They're, they're just really easy and they're really delicious mm -hmm. um, and they're really quick and they don't need a lot of sun. They, they tick every single box. And even though, you know, I've obviously now got, you know, a lot more experience of growing, they're still something I grow pretty much all year round because they're just so, uh, they're so tasty and they're so good to have on your doorstep. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going to learn how and and, uh, <laughs> and do it. I haven't done it. I grow, you know, I have my lights down in the basement for starting stuff. So I decided, hey, I'm already halfway there. So I'm going to do the microgreen thing. Great. Give us some recommendations on you, like your top three or four things to grow in a tight, tight space that are, you know, good for you. And, and you know, that you're, you know, you're going to get some results. Okay, yeah. So I would say small spaces are less good for the, um, you know, for growing a lot of high calorie food like potatoes and that sort of thing. But for adding flavor and nutrient profile, they're fantastic. And the, the things I would recommend, well, what you love, but the things that I've found are like really worthwhile are things like uh, tomatoes, which we've already talked about, chilies are uh, brilliant. You can basically grow enough chilies with a few plants to have chilies all year round because you can mm -hmm. dry them and freeze them and homegrown chilies are just flavor is just fantastic mm -hmm. if you get the right varieties pickle them pretty, pretty much all the herbs um they can just completely change your food and some of them you can pick all year round um or at least a lot of the year and you don't need very much space to have herbs with every meal you eat during a year and it's so much more convenient having them on your doorstep and they're really expensive to buy so all your favorite herbs i would grow Soft fruit, very nutritious. So things like blueberries, blackberries are pretty productive in a small space and just really nice to be able to pop out and pick them. And, you know, very another thing like lettuce leaves and salad leaves, which go off um, very quickly. So when you can pick them on your doorstep, that's a, a great um, option. 
And uh, the other thing that I would say does really well are beans. So French beans, runner beans. I'm not sure about what you call them in the States, but basically the long beans that grow right. on tall climbing plants. Yeah, you grow the Chinese get, ones. I can get 10 kilos off one container of those. So sure. <laughs> 20 pounds off one container. So they're fantastically productive. Yeah. I saw this thing called Chilean guavas you say you grow. I mean, what, tell me about those. I was, I was very interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're very easy to grow and they fruit late in the season so like here it's like almost like frosty when they start to fruit and they sm have small red berries that look like blueberries but taste a bit like strawberries and uh, they're famous in this country for being queen victoria's favorite fruit really <laughs> but, but, they, but, but they're very nice they're very I'm nice have they're to not, try that. yeah they're not something i would grow hundreds of but having they're like one of those ones where like they're really nice to sort of browse on in the when you're out in the garden you just pick a few berries and pop them in your mouth and make i do yeah that's i do that with the mice i have a little thing called the um current tomato and those i like you saying i, I graze on those while i'm out yeah. there so or maybe i'll add these chilean guavas to the mix Lovely. Um, yeah i'm i like growing potatoes because i'm an irishman but i don't have a great success what's the trick you know um, i've tried bags i've tried boxes uh the yields haven't been up to snuff for me, so I, you know, sort of got lost interest. Is there something I should do that you know, this year and try to grow some uh, potatoes? Oh, that's a really good question. I, it's one of those things, isn't it? We all have something that we find other people say easy, and then <laughs> and then um, we find difficult to grow. So I've always I found I've always found parsley difficult to grow, and everyone says it's really easy. So I've always found potatoes really easy to grow. So I don't know what the what the secret is. I mean, they're they're quite hungry and they're quite thirsty as they grow larger. So giving them plenty of organic matter, plenty of food, particularly in the sort of and water in the sort of last sort of final third of their development is very important okay. um and just giving them enough space i don't know what how are you just putting like one content one potato sea potato in a bag or no like three or four yeah you know, Some, eyes sometimes less you know sometimes i just put one in okay that one sort of more space but the variety can make a bit of difference. And what what sort of are you? What sort of potting? Yeah, red red potatoes. You know, small red potatoes. I've tried. Yeah. You know, things like that. I I had more success with yams, believe it or not. Right. Okay. Got more yield out of the yams. Okay. Well, most people find that much harder. <laughs> so well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there's some kind of Korean yam I bought. They were delicious, and I got <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, are you growing first earlys? First early or second early potatoes? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay well i would definitely recommend going for like one of the i don't know how you classify them in the states but in this country they're classified according to how long they take to mature okay. and the faster maturing ones are the ones that we pick early and eat like young uh young potatoes okay or maybe um, that's fingerlings maybe so i would go for i would go for those ones in containers rather okay. than the main crop okay main crop ones yeah don't yeah. grow grow baked potatoes <laughs> yeah maybe yes i would say so probably yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. uh we're winding down here so i want to get another couple of questions in here about something a little different you mentioned in your book that gr growing can be a political act so how so i really really love the writing that chapter because it actually is really important to me so why is it a political act i think that it's so easy just to follow along with what is, you know, just to go along to the store, buy your food, not really think about it and come home 
Whereas when you start growing, you start, you become a little bit independent from that system. I mean, you're still dependent on it, but you have a little bit more independence from it and a little bit more control over the food that you eat. And I think by growing as well, you also learn a lot about like how much work it is. You know, like you can buy from a store here, you can buy a pound of carrots for an almost nothing, you know, a few pence. But when you grow that pound of carrots, you realize it's quite a lot of work. And that makes you think about, well, what is this system that we're in where I can go to the store and buy carrots for this small amount of money? So I think it's about, uh, it's partly about awareness and about independence. I think the thing about the more of us who are connected with food in the city, because I think, I, I don't know what it's like in, in the States, but in this country, it's so easy to be very disconnected from the environment and from our food supply. And I think the more of us that grow and the more of us that are in touch with it, the more we become aware of the wider issues in society and the more effectively we can speak up for them and we can cam campaign on them. And, and I'm, of course, I don't think that if everybody grows food at home in the city, that's going to solve all the world's problems. But what I do think it can do if more people grow food at home is that it can empower us all and inform us all so that we're much more knowledgeable and much more aware of what's going on in the world. And hopefully we can take better decisions in the future. Very cool. We've been talking to Mark Ridsdale-Smith. He's the author of The Vertical Veg Guide to Container Gardening, found on Chelsea Green Press. I'd like to thank you, Mark, for coming here today and talking with me. It's a lot of good information in this book and worth checking out. It's my pleasure, Kevin. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org 